And this gives us that indie vibe that we all are putting our hearts and souls into this resort to make this place work. Just like that feel of, okay, right now it's 1130 on a Monday and we got uh, far more skier visits than we had expected. I'm going to go run the soup ladle in the cafeteria and it doesn't matter what my title is the job needs to get done and we get that feel of what the front line looks like what's happening on the front line what the guests really need and uh, we can make decisions from this office that affect everybody in the company but they know that we're making the right one because they see us standing next to them on the front line that's my definition of an india the size doesn't matter i don't think it's more the the feel that you get when you're there and you get that feel because everyone sees us working our butts off to make this resort work Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Got lots of great things happening up at Waterville Valley, and we're going to go deep on those today. First, though, a reminder to please subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. Podcast is just a small part of the storm, and you're going to find a lot more about today's IndyPass announcement on that website and via that newsletter. Also, you should follow the storm on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. First up, though, let's talk about Helly Hansen and Mountain Gazette. You all know conditions in the Northeast can be unpredictable. And if you ski every week, like my family does, you need to be prepared for anything, especially this year when your car is your base lodge. That's why we are rocking Helly Hansen gear from head to toe to keep us warm and dry no matter what Mother Nature throws at us. Helly Hansen gear is ready for anything because professionals who brave the world's harshest environments have been integral to the development of the brand's gear. My daughter was on break last week and we were out skiing a bunch of days. It was cold, below 20 every day, but she stayed warm in her junior sapphire jacket. It's insulated with a slightly longer fit and a faux fur hood for extra protection. It also has a Helitech waterproof, windproof, and breathable outer layer. Plus the life pocket, which stays two times warmer than a normal ski jacket pocket, keeps her phone from dying while we're on the mountain all day long. If you want to get yourself new gear or know someone who needs to refresh their kit, visit the Helly Hansen in Boston or Burlington. And mention this Storm Skiing Podcast ad to get 18.77% off. Why 18.77%? Because that's the year they were founded. That's right, more than 140 years ago. And while you're in the Boston store, you may as well pick up some discounted lift tickets for Waterville Valley. The Storm Skiing Podcast is also brought to you in part by Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a biannual, large format print title celebrating mountain culture. Head over to mountaingazette.com and enter code GOHIRE10, all one word, for 10% off subscriptions. Use code EASTCOAST, all one word, for 10% off everything else, including vintage magazine covers, which make great art for your home office or living room. I got the first issue in November and it is incredible. This is more of a work of art than a magazine. This thing is huge, first of all. Quality of the writing is unreal. It has huge, amazing photos. This is not like anything else in snow sports media. It's very deep, the content is varied and surprising, and it is incredibly well-conceived. Grab your subscription today over at mountaingazette.com and you will get a PDF of that first issue as the crew works on issue 195 which takes a deep dive into the heart and soul of mountain culture at a time when newcomers, locals, and dirtbags are learning how to coexist in this new era. Mountain Gazette, when in doubt, go higher. Episode 38, Tim Smith, 
president and general manager of Waterville Valley, New Hampshire. Waterville Valley is making moves. Today, the resort became one of the latest partners to join the Indy Pass along with Saddleback. And that is huge. It's huge for Andy and it's huge for Waterville. But it's just the latest move in the resort's long evolution. Last year, Waterville Valley announced what will be the most consequential expansion project in the Northeast. Look, there are a lot of really exciting expansion projects proposed or underway in the Northeast. The West Mountain expansion at Sugarloaf is going to make a big and amazing mountain even bigger and even more amazing, if that's even possible. The West Bull expansion at Mount Sunapee would be a terrific addition to a great little mountain. And if we get a new ownership group up at Big Squaw in Maine, we could really bring that mountain off of life support. But the expansion of Waterville Valley will, in my opinion, be more transformative than any of these. It would develop the other side of Green Peak, which, by the way, they just opened a few years back. It would add an additional base area and, most importantly, finally link the pedestrian village directly to the ski area. Dropping a lift into that village creates the kind of true resort experience that's rare in the Northeast. You can arrive, you park your car, you forget about it. Everything you need is right there. This would be huge for Waterville Valley and huge for Northeast and New Hampshire skiing. So let's get into all of this with the man in charge of making sure it all happens. Let's go. My guest today is president and general manager of Waterville Valley, New Hampshire. Waterville Valley has 62 trails spread across 265 acres on a 2020 foot vertical drop. Prior to joining Waterville Valley in 2014, he spent six years at New Hampshire's Crotchet Mountain as outside operations manager and also worked at Hidden Valley Ski Area in Wisconsin and spent six years at Beaver Creek, Colorado. Tim Smith is my guest. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this one. So let's get right into the big news here. Waterville Valley is now an Indy Pass mountain. Why is this pass a good fit for your ski area? Well, yes, we are. And we're super excited about this. I think that uh, the Indy Pass offers a lot to us and we offer a lot to them. And uh, you had Doug on there on here just a few weeks ago, and he talked about how they're restructuring the financial aspects of the Indy Pass. And the way they restructured it really makes it ideal for resorts of all sizes and makes it somewhat of an equal playing field. And because of that financial uh, decision that, that they made, it, it made the structure work for us. And this new structure is desirable. As you can see, you know, Jay Peak jumped on and Cannon and now us. So uh, it really put the Indy Pass into a new, a new realm. So from a resort point of view, what was attractive to you is basing it on your average ticket price, right? Your rack rate rather than everyone gets the same price. Yes, correct. So you're in some good company. Waterville Valley is the fourth New Hampshire mountain and the 12th in New England to join the pass. How much have you been talking to your colleagues, Tim, around New England about their experiences with the pass and how much did that sway your decision to sign with them? Well, one of the really cool things that's developed out of the COVID era here has been our ability to communicate uh, through Ski New Hampshire and with our board members in Ski New Hampshireers and our members in Ski New Hampshire once a week on on telephone calls, um, and I shouldn't say telephone; it's all Zoom these days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started talking to JD over at Cannon and Chris Blombeck at Pats, and you know Chris and JD have had wonderful success this season with the Indy Pass, and uh, they really felt that. Waterville would be a good fit for the Indy, and we thought that the Indy would be a good fit for us. And uh, when Chris started talking about how Pat's Peak first season, they saw over 80% of the skiers that were coming off the Indy Pass had never been to Pat's Peak before. Um, that really 
made my eyebrow rise. So uh, between that and JD and, you know, some of the others that I've talked to that are on the Indy Pass, it was, it was a no-brainer. You know, what really stood out to me, Tim, is as we approached this season, you saw most resort operators getting rid of most discounts, right? Any discount tickets, frequency products, but they all stayed on the Indy Pass, almost everyone. They lost two or three partners. That was it. And mostly those were smaller mountains. Did that make an impression on you as far as the value of that partnership and and what it would do for your resort long term? For sure. I, I think that everybody here, everybody on this pass knows the importance of of working together in this industry and how important it is. You know, through Ski New Hampshire, we we get some really great uh, collaboration. We work together in a way on Ski New Hampshire that I think that uh, they value in the same way when they're working with the Indy Pass. They can they can uh, make decisions that relate to each other uh, in a way that others can't. So when they they jump on board, you mean it, and you want to make sure you hold up to your word and you 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 honor the the uh, the bonds that you've made through that. So I can tell all these all these resorts have that feel and have that you know the word is the bond. So they stay together. So let's talk a little bit about that atmosphere and and what ties these resorts together. You know, frankly, Waterville Valley strikes me as a bit different than a typical Indy Pass resort in that it's already very high profile. It's a bit upscale. It's always busy. Uh, this partnership, I think, along with the JP partnership, really redefines the Indy Pass in the Northeast from my point of view. I think it now becomes a destination product rather than solely a day trip one. So if you're down in Massachusetts, you can do a couple of day trips to Catamount, Berkshire East, Magic, and then you plan a weekend at Waterville Valley, a weekend at, at Jay Peak. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that independent spirit runs through Waterville Valley, even though it's a bit more developed than some of these other partner resorts? Uh, first of all, thank you. I mean, that was a huge compliment you just gave me on the resort. So uh, <laughs> it's a great we're always mountain. busy, we're, we're upscale, we're, you know, I, I love that. High profile, that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, is this resort's been around for 50 years. It's gone through different ownership structures. And our current ownership structure is really the definition, I believe, of an Indy Pass. Um, our ownership stru- structure is made up of very passionate owners that want to see the resort succeed. And so they've given us the tooling to be able to manage this resort from here in Waterville. We manage every aspect of the resort from our our, uh, lodging products to our conference center and our ski resort. And sorry about that. Uh, And all of our, all of our, uh, uh, all of our products are managed from here. Accounting is just across the hall from me. HR is down the down the hall from me, and this gives us that that indie feel, that indie vibe that we all are putting our hearts and souls into this resort to make this place work, just like all these other independent resorts are. Um, and that gives us that you know, decision makers like myself gives us that feel of okay, right now it's eleven thirty on a Monday, and we got. Uh, far more skier visits than we had expected. I'm going to go run the soup ladle at the uh, marketplace in the cafeteria. Um, and it doesn't matter what my title is, the job needs to get done. And we get that feel of what the front line looks like, what the front line is, is what's happening on the front line, what the guests really need, what they desire. And uh, we can make decisions uh, from this office that affect everybody in the company, but they know that we're making the right one because they see us standing next to them on the front line. 
So it really does. That's my definition of an indie. I don't, you know, the, the size doesn't matter. I don't think it's more the, the, the feel that you get when you're there and you get that feel because everyone sees us working our butts off to make this resort work. Let's talk real quick about that ownership structure because you do have some very high profile folks who own that <laughs> mountain. So, so tell us about who owns Waterville Valley. Okay. So uh, we're owned by a ownership group that is headed by the Sununu Enterprise Corporation. Sununu Enterprises is obviously the Sununu's. John H. Sununu was our, a former governor and uh, chief of staff for the first President Bush and our uh, the, the, the founding, one of the founding members of the, of the group was Chris Sununu, who's our current general manager. He served as CEO and general manager for about four years before, uh, he handed over the reins to me. And he is currently the governor of New Hampshire, right? Yeah, correct. Correct. I have a great story if you want to hear it on that one. I do want to hear it. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) So when, when we hit, uh, uh, the worst season that New Hampshire's ever seen, that was the 15, 16 season. Uh, we had no snow. It was really poor uh, ski conditions and we were just getting hammered. And uh, Chris had just handed over the reins to me in May of that year. Uh, so he was getting out on a, at a good time, right? Uh, we were strap, bootstrapping everything, doing the indie thing, you know, making sure that you know, we're holding our meetings while we're vacuuming and cleaning bathrooms, you know. Uh, so one day Chris came into the office and we're talking uh, uh, about, you know, what are we going to do? We're kind of down in the dumps. Uh, and uh, he turns and he just says, you know, we got to set goals. We got to find out where we're going to be in, in a year from now. And he said, I'm going to I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to try to become the governor of the state. And, and I said, OK, I'm going to try my hardest. and I'm going to try to get Green Peak open. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not so fast. <laughs> I'm like, it's more it's more likely that you're going to be governor of our state than it is that we're going to get Green Peak open. And uh, <laughs> and he said, well, that one we've been trying for 30 years. I've only been trying to become governor for a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We, both of them oh, happened. We got them both open by the next year. We got both of our, our goals came true. And, you know, that really does show that independent spirit that we have here in Waterville. Do you find that Having a governor who is part of the ski industry, how how does that helpful, like, for example, with COVID and all the adaptations that the ski ski areas have had to make to COVID, is, is there some benefit to having an executive who understands the importance of that industry to the state's economy and tourism and, and all the other things that skiing does that helps the world go around? Without a doubt. I mean, there, the, the fact that he he put so much hard work into this resort, you know, coming out of Booth Creek and corporate ownership, which you know wasn't a bad thing, just different, um, but did have challenges and tons of hurdles to overcome. And in the first year of ownership, they got hit with Irene and wiped out the access road, wiped out the pump station. You know they had some serious hardships, and he led the charge in overcoming those hardships, uh, reestablishing the management here, putting you know thankfully uh, he. He let me have a chance at this job and gave me a great team to work from um, that that started the basis of everything that we see here now. Um, with that experience and that leadership, um, you know, he had a really good understanding of the hardships that that we were going through as a business, but also it prepped him for the hardships that he would need to go through as as the governor. Um, you know, we are in the hospitality industry; we're the second largest industry in the in the uh, in New Hampshire. So for him to have insight as to how this industry works and how uh, how the business functions, I think prepared him greatly to lead our state. 
And I think at the same time, Tim, you want as valuable as that understanding is, you want to have some safeguards in place, right? So it doesn't Absolutely. look like uh, there's conflicts of interest or you're getting preferential treatment from state regulators or official bodies or from the governor's office itself. Like, what can you tell us about those kind of safeguards between the governor's office and Waterville Valley? It's church and state. And uh, literally at some points it's, it, th- this, this is just a place for him to be able to recreate just like any other ski resort in New Hampshire. Um, he probably, uh, listens to my, you know, the friends that he made through the industry, especially our ski, New Hampshire rep, Jessica Keeler. She is amazing. Um, and she leads up our, you know, government affairs and everything that we do through ski, New Hampshire. Um, so we, we have the, we have the structure, we have the representatives in, in our, uh, business line that, that, that work through the government aspects of this. He doesn't need anything from, from, he doesn't, he doesn't need any information from me. So we don't talk about that stuff. Um, I still consider him a dear friend. Him and I both have children and we both, you know, have the, the normal relationship that a, uh, a successor and a protege have. Um, there's times where, where we talk about, you know, the, the ski day that we're having where the, you know, the powders out there, the the sky's blue. And, uh, you know, the, there's times where his family and, and, and my family connect. It's, you know, it really is a friendship at this point. Um, and, and I really cherish it. The safeguards that have been put in place really keep us on, on our toes at all times. Obviously, the last thing we'd ever want to do is jeopardize him as our leader of the great state of New Hampshire or the, the business that we have all worked so hard to uh, uh, make sex successful. There really is just such a range of how you can define an independent resort, right? Because Jackson Hole is an independent resort, right? Telluride is an independent resort. So you, you have these big places and, and certainly by Northeast standards, Waterville Valley is one of these big mountains, very high profile owners. But from the way you just described it, it's a great fit for this portfolio. Really excited to have this on Indy Pass. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to work really well, I think. Uh, I can't wait to see the 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 guests come. Uh, they're going to they're going to they're going to have a great time. Really great time. So this is the second pass coalition, Tim, the Waterville Valley is a part of. You're also in the White Mountain Super Pass, along with Cranmore, Cannon and Bretton Woods and part of the College Pass, I believe, which swaps out Gunstock for Bretton Woods. Uh, so skiers who buy the Waterville Valley Season Pass um, will now be able to add an Indy Pass on for a nominal price, $129 last season. I don't know what it will be next season. That hasn't been announced yet. Um, will folks who buy the White Mountain Super Pass through Waterville Valley also be able to add on the Indy Pass? Not at this time, but we're working with those partners. Um, we'll see where that leads us. And the Indy Pass is good immediately, right? Skiers can use it right now. Yeah, they can come out for sure. Come one, come all. Terrific. Uh, curious about the White Mountain Super Pass. I, just in general, what percentage of your season pass holders buy up to that? Because it seems like it's not that much more money and it adds a ton of access to really great mountains that are not very far away. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. I mean, it, it's about 12% of our total season pass holder base and it does offer a really awesome ski experience because we are so close um, and we're all relatively the same size. So you get a ton of skiing on that pass. Um, you can almost ski every resort in a day. 
Um, if you really wanted to start start up north at Cranmore and work your way to Bre- Bretton Woods Canyon and end up at Waterville for Opre, uh, <laughs> you can. It, we're right we're right next to each other, so you get a ton of skiing off of that pass. It's a it's a great deal. So I actually would have guessed that it would be higher than twelve percent. What does that tell you about your pass holders? They these are the kind of folks that they like to come to Waterville every every weekend. They have condos there. It's just it's it's their home. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Uh, you're from Michigan. You know what it's like. You know, you, you have that home mountain, you have that. And I think that's part of the indie feel too. You know, we have, you have your home mountain, you want to be at that home mountain. It, it creates a real special spot in your heart. Um, I, I think that's, that's pretty much it, I would say. But, you know, I liked seeing the, the collaboration with these other resorts. You know, these other resorts we have on the uh, White Mountain Superpass are really phenomenal. And I think that percentage will increase as, uh, as people want to get out there and explore. So Waterville Valley's standalone season pass is one of the more expensive single mountain passes in the region. And I've brought this similar issue up with Chip Siemens over at Wyndham and Brian Fairbank at Jiminy Peak. And basically they've told me, look, man, we can't keep these things in stock at any price. That's why they cost what they cost. You can't just look at that and, and in comparison to like an Epic pass and understand the totality of it. So I imagine it's kind of a similar story with Waterville Valley. But take us through your thinking here, Tim, around season pass pricing and why those price points work for Waterville Valley skiers. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, it, it really comes down to, you know, the the ski experience and the community experience that you want. And uh, here at Waterville, we have that really great community experience um, and ski experience. We have a lot of, you know, really passionate people about the mountain. And so we price it so it's, it you know, it's it's the right price for the clientele that we have and the guests that we have and the community members we have. Um, obviously there's, there's deals to be had out there. There's, you know, there, there's, there are, uh, you know, we'll talk a bit about kids ski free and uh, you know, some of our college pass that we did with other ski resorts, things like that. But for the most part, the people who ski here, you know, our average, our average uh, visits per year for our season pass holders is over 20. So that tells you how much and how aggressively these skiers ski here. Um, they really find value in our pass, and uh, and that's why the price you know is determined to be where to, what it is. Yeah, twenty is a lot. That's higher than the numbers I've seen for the average number of days that folks yeah, ski on your average yeah. mega pass. Yep. Right. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It really is, and a lot of that goes back to what we were just talking about about being a home mountain. Uh, you know, we're so close to Boston being just two hours outside of Boston, uh, and only one stoplight, as we say, cause there's only, there's the one stoplight in Canton and that's it. Um, so people can get here and get out on the, on the, on the slopes really fast. And the other piece is a lot of, a lot of people will come in, ski the morning and then go and enjoy the, the Valley in the afternoon, either Nordic skiing or snowshoeing or, you know, uh, uh, even some of our backcountry skiing. So there's a lot to do here. And that diversity of activity, I think, is what keeps a lot of people just wanting to come to Waterville. And the access, obviously, it's so quick. And what's your bed base there, condos and everything else in the between the village and, and everything just right there at the mountain? You know, if you count all the beds of the condos and all the houses and everything like that, we're I think we're just shy of 5,000. But uh, those are a lot of cold beds, warm beds, and, and not so many hot beds. The the thing that we're we're really uh, yearning for is more hot beds. In that regard, I mean hotel rooms and 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 uh, uh, leisure rooms for the guests to be able to stay in that that they can rent out for the for the night or the weekend. 
And we'll talk a little bit more about the village and the development down there in a little bit. Uh, first, though, you mentioned the kids ski free pass. I think that's a really great benefit. Why don't you talk about that real quick? Yeah, so this was this was one we worked on for quite a while. And, you know, we we saw how successful it was over at Sugarbush. And I talked to Wynn from Sugarbush a, a long time ago about it, just kind of got his insight on it. And then we started putting our own twist on it. You know, we're New Hampshire's family resort. Our ski industry has struggled to uh, keep the young families in the sport. Um, there's normally a fallout that you see amongst young families. And I, I wanted to affect that as I have children myself, I have twin 10 year olds and, you know, we struggled to find time and struggle to find the assets to be able to ski. And, you know, even though they're here every day, it's, you know, it, it can be hard not being able to ski with them every day, but um, it, it is something that I find, I find very rewarding and I cherish. And I, I think that Waterville's uh, appeal to that young family is very easy to see. For one, we're, you know, our base area is, is centralized. Almost all of our lifts come right out of our base area, which is really cool because it's like a center hub. But it also makes it so that if you have a child, you can stand in the window or, you know, go take a run down grit while they take a run down oblivion. Um, and you all meet up in the same spot, which is, you know, so unique and makes it feel safe and makes you feel like you can let them explore a little bit. I think we all learned that when we were growing up, you know, that, that feeling of independence when we're out on the ski slope. Um, but also in the town, we have this really unique village, you know, six miles into the White Mountain National Forest. They call it the town at the end of the road. Um, you literally go through the National Forest for six miles with absolutely no development. So you get that break from, you know, all of the hustle and bustle of the world these days. And you come into our valley of 540 private acres and there's there's a football soccer field there's a rec center there's swimming pools there's a pond to boat on there's a field to play disc golf in there's a summer chairlift on snows mountain there's waterfalls to dive into there's hiking that you can take to the most extreme <clears throat> we have four thousand foot peaks surrounding the entire valley um you can but you can let your child ride a bicycle down the street and go to Jugtown, buy a pack of gum and ride back you know, what a great upbringing that is and what a cool, you know, what a cool spot to be in to be able to do that. So if we can encourage the, the family to come out here and experience Waterville, sure, they're going to come because, well, for one, we can keep them skiing and it's a good deal, right? Uh, but for two, they can go and they can start to see what Waterville has to offer for for the, the four seasons, not just the winter. And that's when you really fall in love with this place because it's definitely more than just a mountain. It's a, it's a community. So what are the details on that, Tim? You Is it a free pass for kids under 12 with an adult purchase? Yeah, sorry, I got on a tangent there. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so, so the cool thing about this one is if you buy a full season pass, you get a kid ski free pass. It's not, it doesn't need to be your kid. Oh, wow. You can you can hand that to any child and get them out skiing because really the, that's the future of our sport, right? We need to get those kids out skiing. We need to get them into the sport and understanding that this is a great activity to have in the winter. It's way better than the video games. So you can, if your next door neighbor is a young person, you can hand that kid ski free pass off to your next door neighbor and they can come out and go skiing all season long. Um, it's a way for our entire community to spread the love and and uh, try to try to make an impact on on skiers and get skiers out and and start to start to you know get them to enjoy the sport we all love. And that's age twelve and younger. Yep, that's terrific. Uh, one other benefit 
to your season passes that I really liked, less of a benefit than a COVID adaptation. So like most large ski areas in the Northeast, Waterville Valley put together a very thoughtful uh, sort of response to COVID. And, and you offered something that no one else did, which was you actually, a, a lot of ski areas allowed people to defer by a certain date to the following season or ask for a refund, but you actually let them ski a day first before making that decision. Uh, take us through your thinking in, in making this offer to skiers to come out and try it, you know, see if they could tolerate COVID era skiing with the masks and the distancing and the long lift lines and everything else. And if they didn't, they could turn in their past. Take us through your thinking and coming up with this and, and why you thought this was a good solution. I just think it's the right thing to do. And you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, the The fact is that if you, how are you going to know for sure that you feel confident and safe in this environment until you actually get to the mountain and, and feel it out? Um, and statistically looking at it, not many skiers ski before Christmas. So to put some date on it saying, you know, you got to come skiing before Christmas, I, I didn't think it was fair. Um, and, and I really, I'm, I'm, I'm really confident. I've always been very confident in my team. And so I knew that if they came and saw what we were doing, they'd feel comfortable and they'd want to ski. And if that was the case, then why put a date on it? Um, they just need to come and, and we were sitting around to talking about this, uh, in the marketing group. And, you know, I just, I just feel like they should first ride and then decide. And there's the name. <laughs> so it, 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 it was natural, man. It's just the, it, it, I just felt like it was the, 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 the right thing to do. And how did it go? How many skiers have taken you up on this? <laughs> About a hundred. It's not many. Okay. Uh, so, I, I think we hedged our bets, right? So relative to the number of skiers and season passes that you sell a pretty small number. And is that a deferral or is that a refund? Uh, it's deferral. Uh, we had a refund day too, and we thought about that one long and hard too. And that one really did need a date. You know, we really did feel that we needed to uh, put a date stamp on that one. That was October 1st. And that was truly for, you know, the individual that wanted to get the pass at the best price, didn't want to let that go, but maybe was a bit insecure about the world around them at the at that time. Um, so we let them secure that best, that the, the very best price and said, okay, if something happens, if you don't feel it by October 1st, um, we'll give you a full refund. And did you have many people take you up on it? Not many, about 30. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. great. So, so the ones who, who really would have been mad are happy and yeah. the ones who, uh, did keep their pass do that you offered it, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it's it's it, it seems like a win-win, Tim. It's it doesn't seem like you gave up a lot, and it seems like you got a lot as far as uh, goodwill from your pass holders for putting that all together. Yeah, that's truly what it is these days, right? In COVID, we got to have the win-win, and I think that our you know our season pass holders and our general general guests really understand what we're trying to do, and they're a part of it. We have this shared sense of responsibility in the ski industry. Um, we've had it all along, you know, the skier conduct code, you know, we don't, we don't ski in front of each other. We don't cut each other off. We all respect each other out on the mountain. So when COVID hit, it was a pretty easy one for all of us to just make the transition and, uh, and just make that kind of the, the, the rule that you followed shared respect for each other. All right. Let's talk about this expansion. I am very excited about this. This is a monster project. This is going to completely transform Waterville Valley and the way it's perceived throughout the Northeast. This is one of the biggest projects going right now. 
Uh, so last February, the U.S. Forest Service formally accepted Waterville Valley's 10-year master development plan. I do want to talk about each element in detail, Tim, but give us the broad overview here. What does your expansion plan entail and how would it transform Waterville Valley? You know, the one thing about our team is we're ambitious. Um, <laughs> no and, kidding. <laughs> and <laughs> we started this off by doing our Green Peak expansion, uh, you know, the first couple of years that I was here and we got that done and under the belt. And the Forest Service, because we have a special use permit with the Forest Service, we were supposed to have a 10-year master development plan that's constantly an active and live document. And when when we looked at ours, it was from 1997. So wow. we just missed a couple decades there. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> uh, we, we, we started working on that right away. Um, and we started looking back at, you know, all of our predecessors, cause we've had amazing people here. You just had Tom day on this show. That guy's awesome. Uh, he led the charge here for many years and, and Bob freeze and, you know, all of the, you know, t- Tommy Corcoran, of course, the, the visionary that, that helped, uh, help cut the trees, the, the first trees here at the resort, you know, all those people I've had the pleasure of sitting down with and talking to and finding out what their ambitions were. And then I, I climb up in this admin building and see all of the original, all the plans, all the different master development plans, some published, some unpublished. And uh, we looked through all of those for years and came up with, you know, the plan that you see in front of you. And it involves all sorts of stuff. We've got trail expansions, uh, new lifts, we've got you know, one of the most exciting thing, of course, is connecting the town and the, the ski area. Okay, so we'll talk about each of those elements in a moment here. Just curious, though, because this announcement hit the month before COVID shut everything down, and it really, I'd imagine, grabbed most of your attention uh, to more immediate concerns right away. From a high-level view, Tim, did COVID slow down this plan's timeline at all, or is everything still on schedule? <laughs> you know, scheduling a a, a any sort of an expansion or big capital project is always, always hard, especially being an independent. We don't have deep pockets that we can say, okay, we're going to put 5 million over here and 5 million over there. Um, we're really going with, you know, the traditional financing We're we're, we're performing as we, as we perform better, more opportunities open for us. Um, in COVID at first, I thought, you know, one month after doing a master development plan for multiple years, uh, one month into it, we get hit with a pandemic. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, <laughs> this has been a mate. This has just been, you know, one hurdle after another. Uh, but we got through, you know, at first I was thinking this thing's going to just, you know, just put that aside, deal with the immediacy, you know, and I told my team today, we're just dealing minute by minute, you know, as we're going through the pandemic and it started to become more clear, you know, towards the middle of the summer, we started looking more, you know, month to month. And uh, now that we're full swing into the winter and things are, you know, coming back a little bit, and we can see a little bit more into the crystal ball. Um, who knows? We might have actually sped this thing up a little bit. Um, so we're we're working hard to to finalize some financing and plans and all that stuff. But I, at this point, I would say we're on track. So it's only you mentioned the Green Peak expansion. It's only been a couple of years since you completed that. I thought that was a pretty nice little pod. Um, it, it also was a, a pretty big project. This new project dwarfs that, but what did you learn from undergoing that smaller project that will help you as you move into the big expansion here? Uh, it's all about our team. You know, it's all about putting, having the right people on your team, having the people that want to get the job done, having the dedication to the long hours, 
that we all have, whether it's in the planning stages or in the permitting stages or, you know, right down to laying the pipeline for the snowmaking. Um, we got to have a full team and that team has to be as dedicated as the next. And, you know, through Green Peak, yeah, it was a long project. Um, it was 30 years in the making. So taking three years to finalize it was no big deal. But um, through that process, we really really dug into the team and the teamwork. Um, we laid all the pipe. We did all the all the installation of the snowmaking. Um, we did a ton of the grading in-house. Um, we helped with the installation of the chairlift. We, you know, it was, it was and we still are clean, cleaning out glades over there. Um, and the glade work still isn't done. I've, we still have, you know, that, that passionate glade brigade that goes out with us on Saturdays in the summertime. And we go out and, and, slowly trim back the trees it's really you know it really comes down to the people you have around you and the passion and i'd learned that through green peak how much momentum did that project give you just from a sort of team rally point of view where you do this big thing and and i'd imagine there's kind of a high from it when you the first time you ride the lift up and ski down that thing and uh, you know a, a peak that was just forest a year before and now you're skiing and it's something that you help make happen. How addicting was that feeling and how much did that spur you into this new larger project to really, that'll really transform Waterville Valley? Yeah. You know, I've always had that passion in, in me. My, my uncle, Dave Dean was the developer of winter park and he, uh, he watching him go through that work at a young age was really attractive um, fortunately, uh, we've been able to recruit Dave here. Um, so we have Dave wow. working on our team now and, uh, he keeps me, he keeps me on my toes, man. I mean, he, he pushes me going forward. He wants to, he, he, he has great ideas. He gets out in the woods and scopes everything out and, you know, make sure that we're, we're, uh, you know, making the right decisions, uh, according to the topographicals that we see out there. But for me, it kind of started from watching him at a young age. And then I had the experience of reopening Mount Holiday in Traverse City, Michigan, which is, you know, my hometown ski resort. And I truly have a passion for that place. And we reopened it as a 501c3. And that gave me that like buzz of, you know, opening something and getting that feel. And then uh, Hidden Valley in Wisconsin and Green Bay, Wisconsin, I helped open that ski resort. was there for a couple of years. And that was a really great feeling. Um, but the the one at Crotched where we put in the uh, Crotched rocket, took it off of the Scutney and put it onto onto uh, Crotched Mountain and gave it five extra acres on top with Jupiter Storm and uh, and some glade skiing off the top of the mountain. That really gave me that first experience of creating something new. Um, but Grand Peak was a whole new beast. I mean that one that that we took you know the first time we cut the tree. Well, first time I walked down it was amazing. You, you couldn't see five feet in front of you. The shrubbery oh, wow. was just so tight. Um, and so I was just, you know, but it has to happen because in the master development plan, that's the main corridor. That's the main connection between, you know, the front side of Green Peak and our main mountain. So that corridor really needed to be made into a ski resort. And I knew it was going to be tough. Um, I didn't quite, uh, I didn't quite uh, anticipate how tough, some of the things were going to be, um, and that's just live and learn, right? Um, so we we got into it and we cut a ten foot corridor uh, the summer of fifteen for engineering, um, and we started doing started looking at it from there, and that's when I really got excited about it because I could start to see the terrain, and then as we started cutting down the trees and seeing 
and starting to see the runs that were starting to open up, uh, it just got more and more exciting. And then being a part of that, you know, it's every aspect when you build something like that, every little detail, you can, you can go in and see, you know, I want to leave that rock. I think that rock's going to be really fun to ski on, or, you know, let's leave that roll in the trail right there. Let's cut a little bump out over here so that this, this area develops into what we want it to be. And you can see that when you, and feel it when you ski Green Peak, because it, it skis differently than the main mountain. Um, and that's because the, the people are different. You know, the people that cut the main mountain, Tom Corcoran was a racer. He loves racing. Um, so he had his twist on that. Um, I'm a little bit more of a backcountry enthusiast, uh, and, and, uh, I was a train park rider. So you'll see a little bit of a different terrain when, when we're developing it. So, and it's different times too, right? Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's really thrilling as you can tell, I could talk about that all day long. Um, but when you're reading it, when we're looking at our new development and moving over towards the front side of Green Peak, there's all sorts of opportunity for fun terrain over there. And the mixture of terrain is going to be really cool. There's some blue, there's some black, there's some greens, really wonderful green, um, really wonderful peak experience, uh, for the, for a beginner skier, that's going to be able to be, you know, wisp up from the village and up into the mid station where you can get your rentals, you can get your lessons, you can get your learner's package if you need to. Um, but then you can go right up to the top of this peak that really shines in the fact that we are a valley, but we're stuck in between these 4,000 foot vertical peaks. Um, and that, you know, that gives you that feel of, of how big a 4,000 foot peak actually is and how small the town is when you leave this town and you come up into it and you see the 4,000 foot peaks all around. It's really cool. I can't wait to get it done, obviously. So as you look at this new trail network, it's pretty massive. It's, uh, I, I don't know if it's as, as big as your main trail network now, but, but it, it looks like it has the potential to be, are, are you actually planning these trails yourself? Cause most big ski resorts, it seems like hire these outside firms now look at the top of maps and map them out but are you doing this in-house yeah we're doing it in-house i mean we've we've awesome. we've had some we've had some plans you know drawn up in the past uh from different groups different ownership groups and whatnot so there there's some general footprint in there but dave gets out there and actually hikes the trails and looks for you know it, it, it having boots on the ground and discovering areas pockets of of hardwoods that you're like, this has got to be glade skiing. Like, yeah. We don't want to put a trail through here. You don't know that unless you're out there. So he does a really great job of getting out there and looking around and finding the pockets, finding where the trails need to be. And it gives us the, the especially with this complex of a project where we're trying to connect the village and the, the ski resort, you know, there's only so many gondola alignments that we could use. There's only so many, uh, so much area you can have your trails because of fall line and whatnot. So we need to move those and adjust those as, as plans change and development changes. And to have that in-house uh, development team member uh, is is awesome. And we can change the plan. I, I, I think we do on a daily basis. Uh, at, but to your point of how much acreage there is over there, it's about 140 uh acres so it's about a third of the resort wow it's a major project i mean anyone who skied winter park has got to be feeling real good about what you're saying right now that is a really <laughs> fun mountain um and, and, and to to know the same brain is mapping out the next trail pot at waterville valley is very cool yeah yeah it is and once again it goes back to our independence right it goes back to our our we're doing it all so there's a conceptual map that was included with that master plan. 
that you filed with the Forest Service, does that verbatim represent the eventual trail network or is that sort of a guess and and the and you'll finalize it later? It's pretty close. I mean, like I said, we've been working on that for years. So we've had field research on that and we feel pretty good about the trail network. There's going to be some adaptations as always. You know, you find some big rock or you find a cliff that you didn't know was there or, you know, even worse, you might find a, you know, you might find a sensitive species that you want to work around, of course. Um, so you, you, you never know until you get into it, but it's pretty close and it, it looks really good. What's the vertical drop there? About 1300 feet. Nice. Uh, yeah, do you, right? do you expect him, is this going to be one of those things where you just cut the ribbon and it's all open at once, or are you going to do a couple trails one year, a couple trails the next year? How, what, what's your plan? I'm a slow growth guy. Um, so I like having a slow growth. There's certain parts of the trail systems. Obviously the, 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 the main thing is getting the connection between the town and the mountain. So we're going to concentrate on that. In order to get that, we need a couple trails. Um, to come down so you can ski to the mid station. Uh, those will be that'll be the first pod, and that's on the the north side of the expansion area. Um, from there, we're going to definitely need more water, so we're going to have to turn to some the pond and making the pond and making sure that we have that that uh, a ballast of water, and then we'll we'll get into the the further trail development from there. Um, but I, I do like the I like breaking everything out into bite sized pieces as we move forward. Um, and that's how we're going to take, you know, one step at a time to climb the mountain. How do those trails grade out as far as difficulty goes, black diamond, blue square, green circle? What, what can we expect percentage wise on each of those? I think it's four greens, four black and seven blue. How about glades? I'd love to see more glades at Waterville Valley. Are you building that into the plan? Of course. Uh, you haven't been here in a while, have you? Uh, you got to you gotta come up and experience that glading. And, and glading is a passion of mine. Uh, uh, a little ski resort back in Michigan called Sugarloaf uh, is where I actually learned how to glade. My dad was a ski troller there, and I eventually became a ski troller with my brothers. And uh, he took me out glading, I think, the first time maybe when I was 13, 14 years old off of Manitou. Uh, and we, uh, we glided in those trees and I think I've glided pretty much every year since then, uh, at Crotchet, we had a team of guys, we call ourselves the Glade Brigade and, uh, we go out on Sunday mornings at seven and work for half the day here. We do it on Saturdays and we have a group, uh, I think we're right around 30 or so people that are, are in our group that we work together with and mostly loppers, you know, I mean, the big thing with glades and having responsive, having a responsibility to the environment around you, I think is incredibly important. And some of the lessons I've learned with glading is it's easy to overdo it. Um, so you want to start off slow and, you know, build, build it so you can tree ski it first. And then you fit, then you realize the pitches and the pockets that start to open up. Um, and then you can start to, uh, grade it towards those pitches and pockets that are fun. Um, so it takes years and years to develop really great glades. Um, we've got one that we're working on right now that we call Fergal's Forest. Uh, it's on the uh, it's it's between Clean Shave and, and and Ruffled Feathers on on Green Peak. Um, we have about I think six acres over there grade gladed right now. Um, I think it got on the map this year as just like a little strip, um, but we have all sorts of little trails back in there that we've been glading for the past three years. And it's really coming to it. It's really fun to ski right now. Um, and that, that's, that's kind of my, my way of doing it. I like the excitement, you know, you know, 
the glade adventure, right? You go out, you find the glade, and then you find the next one, and then you find the next one, and you kind of it makes you excited to to ski that you know that different line or this different line. And uh, we have a lot of that going on right now. It's cool, Tim. I'm so happy to hear that you're speaking my language. Uh, it's great <laughs> to watch the mountain evolving. Uh, the master plan. And this is probably way in the future, but I want to ask because it's on the master plan. There's an expansion eventually over on Southridge. What do you have in mind over there? And what's the timeline on that? Uh, I have in mind skiing. I think we're going to ski. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that was way out there, man. I, I, when everyone talks about the master development plan, I always talk about it. I, I would like to do this before I die. Um, and that one's kind of after that. Uh, but no, it's, uh, you know, there's some really great skiing over there too. We've been looking at the topos and studying the topos and that was one we wanted to definitely, the, the expansion is going to, going to make, it, it needs a permit boundary extension with the national forest service. And so when we went for the permit boundary extension, while well, we're going for it, um, we wanted to include that in our master development plan as a future area to develop so that when we do the, the permit boundary, uh, we extend it to uh, incorporate that area of skiing. Um, and it actually has some really great tree skiing over in there right now, even. Um, so we know it could be developed uh, down the road. Who knows how far down the road? Um, hopefully we get there. All right. Let's talk about chairlifts. A lot of big chairlift infrastructure upgrades as part of this plan. Let's start with the existing lifts over at White Peaks Express. Um, So when I hosted Tom Day on the podcast, he talked about installing this lift and and said it was the first high-speed quad in in New England when it was installed in 1988. Uh, What are you thinking to replace White Peaks? It wasn't quite the first in New England. It was the first in New Hampshire, Um, but it is, you know, 1988. And that thing is well, blame me for the error, it's not Tom, easy. please. What's that? I'm sure he said something. I said, blame me for yeah, the error, not Tom. I'm, one of the I'm sure I said something different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't the actual first detachable. It was. It was. It was one of the first, though, and it was the first in New Hampshire, which was awesome. You know, that it kind of shows how Waterville has always been on that cutting edge, right? Um, and it is a really great machine. It's. It is robust. I'm telling you, it's like the. You know, they they don't build them like that anymore. Uh, they, it has giant jack shafts in it. It's, you know, it's driven by gears and chains and, you know, big manly things that make you go, you know, uh, but the, the, the lift is a very robust lift. Never the, nevertheless, it is getting older. And, uh, you know, the, the lifts that we have out in the marketplace today are just so cool. Uh, it's like riding in Ferraris out there these days. It's, they're so smooth. They've, they've made things so much so so much more convenient for the guest, so much more comfortable, um, and we want to bring that to Waterville. So yeah, that 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 main lift uh, we're looking at replacing with a six pack uh, bubble lift, um, and we've had some. You know, y- you look at the the bubble lift and you see those those videos of the bubble lift swaying in the wind with the cab open, and go, why would you ever want to put that in Waterville? You know, Waterville has winds, um, and actually this the 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 science behind it, you know, we've, we've seen these, these six pack bubble lifts in wind tunnels and it is going to sustain quite a bit more wind than our current lift, uh, could, um, the carrier is much heavier. Um, that's in the thousands of pounds and then versus, you know, hundreds of pounds that we're, our current carriers are in. So I'm really excited to have that shelter 
as you're going up the lift um, on those you know New England days that we all love, but would love to be a little warmer on the way up. Uh, it, it's going to add that and, and, and take us to that that next level that we really want to be at. Are you looking at some of these lifts with the anti-sway technology? I was just talking about this with Brian Hahn, Jim yeah. over at Sunday River, and he said they don't have one yet in the Boyne Network, but they're really studying it, and they think it would be a really good fit on their Jordan Peak over there. Are you looking at something like that? Yeah, and we're looking at that for the Sunnyside lift. Um, the Sunnyside lift is a fixed grip uh, lift, and I believe in redundancy of lifts and having, you know, every lift has its place, right? You know, fixed grip versus detachable. And one of the things a fixed grip does is you don't have to worry as much about the winds because you don't de- detach. Um, and if you can put the stabilizer onto a fixed grip lift, that thing's going to run really well in the winds and that will secure the uh, upper mountain experience for us. So, yeah, we've been watching that technology and other technologies that are out there to, to help with the winds. Um, the, the lift industry is just so inventive these days. It's awesome. So uh, I'm looking forward to bringing that technology here. So you're looking at a high speed six to replace white peaks and a fixed grip quad to replace yep. Sunnyside. Yep. You know, the fixed grips have that also that icing uh, advantage. You don't have to worry about ice. You just turn it on and, and ice comes off. Um, so with icings and winds and being in new England, we got a plan for every type of operational uh, uh a challenge that we could see. So when you look over the master plan, you'll see every lift pod has a way to uh, access it by the detachable, fast, convenient, comfortable lift. And then there's also a uh, fixed grip lift that will also serve as the, you know, the overflow and pod specific like Sunnyside, you know, those Sunnyside trails, trails of grit and, and Gemma Chow and, and lower bobbies are really amazing. And you sit in that sun all day, you know, it's, it's, awesome to, to be over there. And so that services that pod, but it also gives you the ability to go from every pod with a fixed grip lift. And then you don't have to worry about the, the downfalls of the detachables of being iced over or uh, wind. Right. Could you sell that white piece express or is it, is it too old at this point? It's, it's pretty old at this point. Um, it, I don't think it has, I don't think it'll be replaced. It wasn't built in uh uh, the normal lifts these days are built in components and you normally have five components per terminal uh, and those can be uh, taken apart one by one, like the Escutney lift that's now a crotchet uh, and makes it easily uh, transferable from one mountain to the other. This was not built in that manner. So it'd be piece by piece. So it'd be painstaking uh, to really relocate this one. So what's your timeline for replacement on Sunnyside and White Peaks? Uh, you know, I don't have a hard timeline on any of this stuff. We're getting closer. Um, I can tell you that my ideal timeline is sooner than later. Um, and I'm working to, to secure all the financial aspects of that. We've secured the permitting. So we're green lit there. And uh, it looks like we're going to be off and rolling here pretty soon. The hard part is, is, you know, what do you go for first for one? Um, and then the second part is the, the, we have a sensitive species here, uh, the Bicknell thrush that's above 3000 feet. So we've got to be uh, very conscious of that sensitive species. So these lift projects are not going to be a one year lift project. Um, it's, it's hard enough. I, I experienced it when we did a Scutney and crotchet. It's hard enough to take a lift down and put it up in one year. Yeah, it, it's, it's a challenge, let alone working around a sensitive species, um, you really need to have that planning dialed. And right now, 
the best way for us to move forward is to do it on a multi-year uh, basis. So to do White Peaks, we're going to need to do the footers, you know, the barn, you know, things like that to get prepped for the first year and then the second year, uh, you know, be ready to move and get the lift down, get the next one up. So it's going to be a multi-year process when that begins, hopefully soon. Where's your head at as far as doing Sunnyside or White Peaks first? Do you have a preference? I would love to have White Peaks first. And is that, why is that? Uh, I think it's show, we're going to replace, a, Sunnyside is a fixed script, replacing a fixed script. You know, it, it doesn't add that much to the guest experience. Uh, the the White Peaks, adding a bubble six pack, uh, to, that it's going to be really, really nice, is a really wonderful guest experience upgrade. Um, so I, I I personally rode that lift today. And it was, we had a south wind and I was going, man, this is going to be nice when it's a bubble. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really, really itching to get that one done. So the plan also calls for the removal of the north side double, which is about 40 years old. Uh, why are you taking that lift out? It's funny because uh, I, you know, it's 40 years old, but it was made from the parts of the original sunny side lift. Oh, wow. Um, so the, the lift is actually, it's, the, it's one of the oldest lifts that we have. Um, and it's a beautiful old lift. It's a stately, it's, you know, it's strong. It's, there's, there's really not problems with it other than the fact that we're developing the mountain with increased uphill capacity on our, on our expansion plans with the, the triple going to a quad and the quad going to a six. Um, you start looking at trail densities and how many people you have on the trails from those other lifts. Uh, and that really makes it so the north side doesn't add much to the experience. Um, if anything, it takes away from the experience because it could be overcrowded. Um, or when it's not overcrowded, then it, you know, you're not running it because it's not crowded. So you don't need it. Um, and you don't need that expense. So the next thing you know, it just turns into an eyesore. And uh, the run that's underneath the north side lift right now, Preston's Path, I envision that just being a really, really fun bump run. Uh, without that lift there too. So uh, I think it's going to be a win-win overall. The guest experience is going to be much better without that lift there. And it really is unnecessary and it's getting older. So it's time for it to to go. What's the timeline there? Would you like to replace the other lifts before you take that one out? Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to make sure I have that security of having that north side lift. If something goes, you know, something goes wrong with timelines or something goes wrong with the lift, you know, who knows, but you don't want to, you don't want to uh, take that out until you're ready to take it out. Looks like you're also going to replace the world cup T bar. What are you envisioning there? You know, world cup T bar is a really cool lift. It served, it served as a uh, main piece of all the world cups that we've had here in Waterville, which, you know, was really special and awesome. And hopefully someday we can bring some of that back. Um, the uh, the lift is is getting older though. It is one of the oldest the oldest lifts on the property, um, and we would love to get up a little higher. So we're gonna the plan calls for us to replace that uh, T bar and go up a little higher so we can get uh, up to a, a, a slightly higher place to start the races, and it'll better serve all our, all of our race community um, with that little extension that we'll put onto it. And it will be a new T bar, of course. I, while we're on the subject of T-bars, I wanted to get your insight into the high country T-bar. Uh, this replaced an old double chair a couple years back. And I really thought it was a really smart move because, you know, it's at a high elevation. And so I'd imagine that 
took out your wind hold problem. But but talk about your decision to replace that chairlift with a T-bar because we really don't see that too often these days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I love T-bars. I love skiing in Europe um, and seeing all the different lifts that they have in Europe. And Tom Corcoran once told me that high country, you know, and he said it with such passion. I love that man. Um, he said it with such passion, you know, the high country experience is really about that yeah, European feel, that European vibe of going up on top of the mountain, having that unique experience up there. And I always envisioned it, you know, without the lift and having those big wide open space that we have up there. Um, and then when we had the opportunity to change the lift over and I started digging in deep on what a T-bar meant, um, a T-bar is not only very, you know, uh, uh, unsusceptible to wind, but it also goes much faster than a fixed grip. It can, it travels at 700 feet uh, per minute, which wow. is just slightly slower than a detachable quad does. So you're looking at 400 vertical feet, 1600 foot line, um, you know, Fast turnaround times is what really makes the experience up there wonderful. Um, and I, so it kind of enlightened me as to why the European structure is the way it is. Every lift has a particular spot and a particular purpose. And I believe that the T-bar, the if you're looking at a smaller, you know, smaller run um, that is really, you know, got some real character to it. I, I encourage T-bars. I think they, they're, they're really fun to ride. They keep, you know, we race up there a lot. We do a lot of our race training up there and it keeps the athletes muscles engaged while they're going up and down the lift. Um, they get fast turnaround time, which means better training. Uh, the, 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 if it's a powder day, there's no place better to be because you can get that powder run in and you get that same pitch and you can keep hitting that line. Uh, it's, and it's just a unique experience. You get up there and it feels like a whole different world. It's cool. Was replacing a T-bar or a chairlift for the T-bar, was this a tough sell for your skiers or did they get it? You know, I'd say 90% of them get it. You know, uh, you always have that 10% that, you know, doesn't quite grasp it, but once they get up there and, you know, some people, have a hard time riding a T-bar, you know, for sure. Uh, this T-bar, the new T-bars, the new generation of T-bars, I don't care what manufacturer it is, is far different than the old raggedy, you know, the, the, you remember in Michigan, you had those mm -hmm. T-bars with the, the spring pole on it and they'd yep. swing back and take out your teeth. Uh, it's not like that anymore. We've got these spring boxes that are so comfortable and smooth. Um, it definitely is much easier to ride than they ever were in the past. And they are, uh, uh, very fast, very fluid. And once you get on it, you, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think a lot of the criticisms come from, you know, people who just haven't seen them in a long time and remember the old T-bars. It's, it's definitely, this is not your dad's T-bar. This is definitely a new, a new thing. It's a really thoughtful approach to chairlifts really overall, because if you look at it on the lower mountain, you're going up in technology, right? You're saying, okay, high speed six bubble, that's what's going to work here. On the top of the mountain, you're saying, okay, you know what? A T-bar, that's what's going to work here. But really you're learning because if, if you look at the old trail maps from Waterville Valley, that White Peaks Express actually went to the top of high country and they mm -hmm. had to shorten it because of wind. So, so just talk a little bit about how you're getting more sophisticated with what you put where as you learn both about the mountain from decades of experience and, and the lift technology gets better uh, and you just seek to create a better overall customer experience and not always just try to go for the most expensive thing in all circumstances. You know, it's one of those things that I think our entire industry is gravitating towards is learning that there's more than one way to skin a cat. 
and we need to we need to learn from the past and make decisions that 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 make sense for for us in the future and i'm sure that my kids when they're running a resort and uh, they're looking at, at what we did, they're going to say, well, that was a dumb idea. Um, and they're going to find different ways of doing it. But uh, that's one of the coolest things about our industry, I would say, is we're constantly evolving. I just look at freestyle skiing over the ages and how that's gone from, you know, the ballet and the, you know, the, the, the first freestyle event ever in, it was here on True Grit. And it was an exhibition of freestyle skiing. They didn't even know what it was yet. And now we've got these terrain parks with all these jumps and, you know, finely sculpted machines or finely sculpted uh, uh, slopes with these machines that have instrumentation that can tell you exactly where you're at, how much snow depth you have, what the, you know, what the exact angle is and you perfect exactly how it's, how it's manicured to, Hey, you know what? Some of this stuff needs to be left natural. That's what we want. Um, so as an industry, we're learning. And as a you know, student of the industry, I think that I, I'm learning a lot about how to make, a resort fun and exciting for everyone. So that's just the lifts on the existing terrain. And then you have a whole new set of lifts on the other side of Green Peak where the expansion will be. Uh, the alpha lift is going to be some kind of two-stage lift, first coming out of the town uh, and then moving up the mountain. Tell us what you have in mind here. I think we're going to go uh, tri-cable, you know, like the the Whistler gondola. No, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I would love, I mean, those lifts, there's so much cool stuff you can do in lifts these right. days, right? Uh, so, I, I, you know, I'd look at it and, I, you know, we've thought about the chandala idea of doing the top and having to integrate with the gondolas as they come out of the village and having, you know, so you have chairs and you have gondolas that intermingle with each other and, uh, your, your brain can just go wild with all the different ideas of what it could be. And, you know, but really what it comes down to is once we get into the engineering stages and we start looking at the terrain and we start looking at, you know, our partnerships with the manufacturers and, you know, what is it that, that is going to best suit this environment? Uh, the, the, the choice in exactly how many carriers, what type of carriers, you know, what type of spans we have in the lifts uh, is going to be dictated by that and and uh, the time that we put it in. Um, who knows? I, 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 I love Bretton Woods' new gondola. That thing I'd love to have. That thing's awesome. Um, I, I, I know that, that there's so much tech, new technology out there. Um, it's hard to put, a, put an exact finger on what it's going to be uh, at this moment. This is just, that lift is going to be so transformative for your resort because you talked earlier about the idyllic little village back in the forest. But the truth is when you get to that idyllic little village in the morning, you have to get in your car and drive to the parking lot to go skiing, right? This is going to eliminate that. You get to the (laughs) village, you walk from your condo and it's, I'm thinking like Telluride, right? So, so it's like you're in Telluride and you take the gondola up to the mountain. And then from there you take the lifts up and ski. Um, and it's going to be like that, like a true sort of Western style resort experience. And I think we really don't have very much of that in the East where you can actually just stay there right in a little village and walk to the lifts. Talk to him about how that installation would redefine what it was like to ski and stay at Waterville Valley and really redefine the whole experience. This is no, this is, this isn't any secret. This isn't anything that hasn't been thought of. I can look back into the 1960s and 70s and Tom Corcoran's paperwork that called for the connection of the skiing into the valley um, and all the different 
adaptations of that and how they were going to do it. Um, Everyone knows this is the cornerstone, and that's why we focused our master development plan on that and tried to really hone in what those steps needed to be to get to that position. Um, And the the fact is is that uh, the town and the village is idyllic. 540 private acres, you know, very, very isolated inside of this mountain. Um, but yet we're only two hours outside of Boston. I can go and watch a, a Fenway, you know, Red Sox game and get back home. I mean, that's right. so cool. Like it is so cool. And being, you know, from Michigan and living so much in Colorado and the upper peninsula and Wisconsin, you know, that kind of access I never really had, but then I always have loved living rural. And this gives me that also. Um, and having the, the, the White Mountain National Forest literally at my doorstep is so neat. Um, and this this lift will allow us to be taken from that town square where all of the, the hustle and bustle. And you're right, like Telluride or, uh, you know, some of these Western resorts where you've, you've got this hub of activity that's happening down in town square with, you know, in the summertime, just imagine hanging out next to the pond. You're, you're, you're hanging out on the beach and there's a gondola right next to you wisping people up into the mountain. And when they hit the top, you get to, you get to experience what being on top of a, you know, of a mountain is like, but yet you have Mount Tecumseh sitting in, in the backdrop showing you how big a 4,000 foot peak actually is. Um, and you don't have that perspective right now. And that really is the thing that's going to, uh, is going to transform this, this resort into, you know, what we all have visioned over the decades of, of creating this. Uh, it's it's really special. You talked earlier, Tim, about the advantages of having all the lifts come down to that one base area. And I agree, that's for such a big mountain, that's a really cool thing to have. And Sugarloaf up in Maine is set up the same way where it's it's huge, but you always end up in the same spot. Uh, however, there, there's also an advantage to spreading people out, especially in the morning when everyone tends to arrive at the same time. So talk about that just from an operations point of view, how that's going to help you manage the resort and, and just get people up and skiing. Yeah, I think, you know, part of the Waterville experience, especially before Green Peak, is you never you never really had a perspective of how big the resort actually is because you were on it. Um, and it, it does, the, the original resort skis ex- incredibly well. Uh, one lift, 1,600 vertical feet, armchair mountain, leads you down to all these different types of trails, all this different type of aspects. You can ski on any given day. You can ski, you know, the north side, and it might be hard pack and carvable, and the south side, you know, sunny side might be mashed potatoes and bumps. Um, and it gives you that diversity, but you never got that real experience of how big it was until we put Green Peak in. Once you got Green Peak in, then you looked across the valley and you could see how big and expansive that resort is. And and that really gave people the ability to spread out, but we're all still coming down to this one base area. And when we when we expand into the mid station and have that second base area, that'll allow our guests to be able to start from two locations and have uh, a different experience at both. Uh, I really focus, you know, right now with our planning, we're looking at that mid station as being more of the leisure guest area because obviously the guests are coming out of the hotels and coming into the mid station, and so they have different accommodations that they need versus, say, the season pass holder that lives in Concord. And just is driving up for the day and wants to get onto the slope as fast as possible and wants to get to their race run as fast as possible. And this, you know, this base area in in the in the original mountain serves great for that. So we're going to focus a little bit different groups into different areas a little bit more. Um, and that should help us slow down 
some areas and speed up some areas and make for better skiing altogether around the entire resort. I have to think, Tim, that this is going to make being in the town a lot more attractive and and really spur some development down there. Can you talk a little bit about the town and how much of that is actually owned by the resort? How much of that is private developers in? And what kinds of development are you hoping that this will spur within that footprint? So that's one of the key advantages to our, our company is we're not we're not just the ski resort. We also own uh, a condominium development of Town Square where we have all of our business uh, outlets. And we also, we have the conference center. We have an employee housing uh, unit down there and we have a boutique hotel. Um, and we've, we have all of those inside of this ownership group, but we also have another ownership group that's made up of common owners uh, that recently purchased uh, the, the final uh, C1 developable land around town square. Um, so they have a liked interest in making sure this development goes forward. And they've been really concentrating on, on the development of that land and getting more of the hotbeds and getting more of the central core of the resort done. Tom Corcoran is a very, very intelligent uh, developer. He believed that, that the development of this village needed to start in a hub and we needed to have that hub be very, very active. And that's what Town Square is. Um, and then as you expand from that hub, the sense of activity slows down. So your your larger homesteads and things are out on the outskirts of the town while all of that uh, hustle and bustle is towards the, towards the middle. Unfortunately, you know, in the mid-90s, development kind of stopped down there and, and uh, we didn't see that hub get fully developed. And we believe that by connecting the, the ski resort and the village, that's going to make that that piece of property pop and make it want to, you know, be further, get that further and final development. That's really going to make this, uh, this resort whole. Is there potential to do the kind of dense development that really drives pedestrian traffic? Like, like I'm thinking like Whistler here, right? Where you have just a lot of people and there's a lot of nightlife and you can go out and you can, you can really feel like you're in some little village in the mountains, right? Is there, is there room for that more? That's it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's plenty of room down there for that. And is it possible, and I, I say this without knowing what kind of geographic obstacles you're facing, is it possible to build a ski trail to return to the town, even if it's just a green circle, like service trail, so you don't have to get on the gondola? We got it now, man. I skied to my house just last week with my boys. Did you? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, there's a Nordic trail. So we have 74 kilometers of Nordic skiing that is phenomenal if you are into nordic skiing at all or if you want to get your family into nordic skiing come out we've got an amazing adventure center down in town square and it's a totally different vibe and it's so much fun um but we have one trail that connects the nordic center to the alpine area and and that trail is called pipeline and up until this year we never really had a way to ski from pipeline into the base area but because of covid uh we saw the need to improve our parking and so we went with the National Forest and I just came up with this kind of crazy idea. I said, well, what if we turn these areas, this bus lane into a ski down lane Okay. and you come off of the pasture, which is the learning area and you ski down the ski down lane and you can, you know, pop off and jump out into go to your car, grab your lunch, you know, and then just jump on the trolley and come back up to the, to the ski, to the chairlift. Um, and they're, that's a great idea. Well, you know, why didn't we think of this earlier? And it took COVID to push us into that point. 
Um, and but one of the coolest things about that was all of a sudden light bulb went off in my head, and uh, and I go, wait, we can ski to pipeline then, and we right. can ski right to that Nordic Trail, and that Nordic Trail I like to mountain bike on, and I it's all downhill. So we take that down and you end up at Triple I Road. At Triple I Road, uh, you, you're, you're basically in the town and it's a short walk over to the connector, which is a short skate down to the next hill. And you ski down that hill and I'm literally half a block away from the house. Beautiful. Um, so yeah, we've, we've been exploring a bit on that for sure. Um, and there's definitely ability to ski down there. Now, once you get down there, of course, you know, you're going to make it to the river and then it's going to be a walk to right. wherever you're going. And we'll continue, even after all of this development, we'll continue to run the bus shuttles around town um, to make sure that we can, you know, if you're, if you own a, a, a condo over on the far skirts, the far part of town, you're going to be able to get from the gondola to your condo really quickly on the, on the shuttle service. So once we get to that stage, I think we'll probably see more of that, but um, we'll, we'll take it day by day. Nice. So going back to the uphill part, there's an additional lift coming out of the base area to serve that new terrain next to that alpha lift or the gondola or whatever you decide to put in. So that's skiers left down the mountain, lookers right. Uh, what kind of lift are you thinking there? Uh, that We call that the maple syrup lift because it goes through a little maple syruping uh, farm that we have back there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really services a great little pod of, uh, of beginner and lower intermediate trails. Um, so it's going to have that feel of you know, when, after you get off the conveyors and you're learning how to ski, you can go over to this pod and it'll have that isolated feel of its own chairlift that, you know, fixed grip lift, uh, runs again because of the redundancy, it will service to be able to get anyone that's at the mid station up into the traditional base area. Uh, if anything were to happen, icing wind, whatever on the, the new, uh, uh, second stage of the, the lift that goes up green peak. Um, so it'll be a fixed grip probably a quad doesn't really make sense to do anything but quads these days. Um, and that lift will service that, that, you know, lower intermediate beginner train, uh, in that pod. And I also saw that you were moving your carpets over to the new base area. Why is that a yeah. better place for them? Yeah. You know, the, it goes back to kind of the vibe and the, 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 what you have, what you foresee as being the type of, uh, guest that you have, in the areas and with the mid station, we view that as being the, the leisure guest who is the traditional ski school guest who, you know, needs the lessons and whatnot. So we'll learn, we'll put a lot of our learning center down in that area. So a lot of exciting stuff happening with lifts. Any I overlooked there, Tim, I I feel like it's a lot, but. No, you've been pretty thorough, man. I think you got it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Before I let you go, you've had a couple months to deal with COVID. Uh, what's working, what's not, what do you like, what do you think will stick around from the changes you made this year? Oh man, there's so much. Uh, I know you've, you've talked to all the different GMs on here and they've all said, you know, the bag thing is really cool this year. Keep the garage <laughs> clean. I would agree with that. I don't know. That might be a battle that we, we may not, may not be able to win, but uh, the, the, the parking lots, you know, the ski down parking, that's a huge win. Um, the outdoor eating, I think is probably going to stick around a little more. People seem to be digging it. Um, they, they like that, that we have what call it, we call the courtyard to go. Um, I think that's probably going to stick around. I think a lot of the, 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 the restaurants that used to be a little more, uh, free flowing are going to probably go, go towards more table service. 
um, as we move forward, just because we've realized that that is a better product for the guest. Um, the, I, I, I hope we can get rid of the gap lanes and the lift lines and get back to getting people, you know, full, fully loaded on the chairlift. That's one thing I would love to see change back. But uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of lessons. And I think the, the biggest lesson that we're all learning out of this is how to change and adapt and being an independent resort, you know, we're, we're, we're like a speedboat, man. I mean, we, one day we are just charging hard and the next day we just pull off that throttle and hit the brakes and, you know, slow right down. It, it allows us to be agile, change as the circumstances change around us. And I think that's a huge advantage right now for, you know, being local, being, being independent. And, uh, and, and, and for us that I think that, we learned so much about our capabilities and our ability to adapt to the situation around us. And that's going to be the number one thing we take out of this. All right, Tim. Well, it's a very exciting time at Waterville Valley. I cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking through all of this with us. Congratulations on the IndyPass partnership. And I cannot wait to see this thing grow over the next several years. I really look forward to glade skiing with you, man. <laughs> I can't wait to get up there. As soon as I can get to New Hampshire, I will be there. Awesome. Awesome. Pleasure talking to you. That's Tim Smith, President and General Manager of Waterville Valley. So much happening up there. I cannot wait to see all that get realized. What is already a very good mountain is going to get even better. Waterville Valley skiers, how do you feel about all of that? Are you excited? Do you think it's too much? What do you think about the IndyPass partnership? Let me know. So thank you very much for that, Tim. He had a lot going on, and this was kind of a last-minute ask to build off the momentum of the IndyPass announcement, so I really appreciate his effort in making that happen. And thank you all for listening. Got some good ones coming up for you. Greg Fisher, GM of Granite Peak, Wisconsin, recorded that one yesterday, and we'll send it out to you sometime in the next week. Also have one recorded with Charles Jefferson, the managing owner of Montage Mountain in Pennsylvania. I will also get that one out to you soon. Hey, tell me this. Who else do you want to hear from on the podcast? Do you want to be on the podcast? If you run or own a mountain anywhere in the Northeast, I want to talk to you. I don't care how small it is. I will ski anywhere. I love skiing, and I think every operation is worth talking about and getting excited about. Anyway, remember to please subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com if you haven't done so already. Also, follow me on Twitter at StormSkiJournal. Pretty active on Twitter these days. I never really saw that coming, to be honest with you, but I actually really like it. So join me there. And stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.